Well, I'm noticing uh, that, that uh, we had some folks, uh, dear, dear friends, just a couple weeks ago that we prayed for that they didn't just go on a short-term trip. They moved to Atlanta, and they're, they, they kind of sort of filled the front row. And now, so I'm praying that the Lord's going to stir somebody's heart to go, well, maybe we're the people to sit in the front row because it's awful lonely as a preacher when you have to spit to the second or third row in order to reach anybody. Um, but, you know, just let the, let, the, let the reader understand. You can open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs is, in the Old Testament, just after the Psalms, it's a book that, uh, uh, that's full of quirky little statements and sayings that you probably have no idea how much it's part of your everyday uh, vocabulary, the stuff you heard from grandma and grandpa growing up, how much of it is proverbial uh, and has made its way into our, our just everyday coming and going. And there's an important passage in, in Proverbs 9, and I'm going to uh, talk to you about it. I'm particularly thankful to talk to you about it this morning when there, there isn't, you know, when the, the kids that are usually go across the hall or, or here, or some of them are here, and I, I think it's an imperative uh, issue for young people, and it's growing in discernment, and I'm going to have to even help you understand what that word means. How many, how many of you young people know what that word means, discernment? How many of you older people know what that word means, discernment? I feel like you know it. What's discernment? Well, uh, uh, d- discernment is is connected to wisdom. Yeah, Andy, you wanted to say something. The yeah, the ability to distinguish is is good. I'll give you a textbook definition from a guy who who wrote a, a great book on it. He says that the definition of spiritual discernment is the skill of understanding and applying God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error and right from wrong. So, truth from error and right from wrong. I'll break that down when we get into it in a bit. Uh, Really, I would say it more simply this. Dis- discernment is wisdom making a choice. When wisdom makes a choice, what does it look like? Discernment is knowing what you need to know in order to make good choices. How many, how many of you parents would like your younger children to make good choices? How many of you parents would like your adult children to make good choices? <laughs> How many of you young people would like to make good choices? How do you know how to make those good choices? Well, I'm going uh, to break down why we need it, why we need discernment. You know, what is it? I'm going to get into that a little more detail. How do we get it? And then why do we even want it? What's really the point? And so uh, we'll, we'll get into this this. this passage in Proverbs 9. I'm going to be, uh, I'm, I think I have a ton of uh, verses that I'll use, but these are the only ones that will uh, be up on the screen, the, the stuff in Proverbs 9. So if you're a note taker and it bothers you if it's not on the screen, you can see me later and I'll give you everything I have, or you can just jot notes quickly. But let's pray. Father, open your word to us that we might understand, that we might know, that we might comprehend, that we might grasp how important it is for us in this day and age, to hear your word, to know your word, and put it into practice. Lord, we need discernment. And so I pray that you'd visit 
that upon me, even as I'm the one who stands the greatest risk right now of being foolish by daring to declare your word. We pray that you would let your grace fall upon me and that your words would go out of my mouth. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of declaring your word, and we ask that it would be a right word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's start with why, why we desperately need discernment, why we need this thing called discernment. I'll, I'll give you a few reasons why we even need it, and then we'll, we'll use this passage to kind of unpack it. Um, the first reason that is a, good, is a positive reason I'll give you that you, you need it. The, the reason that you need to have this is because the Bible, this, this, this incredible word of God, you know, this resource that we have that is a manual for our lives, as wonderful as it is, it doesn't tell us everything, especially about decisions we have to make, right? And, um, you know, we are the product of lots of small decisions, and the Bible doesn't tell us every single thing about... The Bible gives us tons of insights and information about things like you know, the, the way that we would live for God and the way we wouldn't live for God. But the Bible doesn't tell us, for example, uh, hey, what job should I take? Should I work in, you know, Jacksonville or Jakarta? You know, um, the Bible talks about the benefits of, of marriage and how a person is supposed to pursue marriage, but it doesn't tell us who to marry specifically. The Bible talks about the joy and the benefits of being single and the advantages of being single, but it doesn't tell us whether you're supposed to be single or get married. The Bible has all kinds of insights into life, but lots of little things that are, that are, that are left there are, are left to us to decide, and these little decisions oftentimes form our life. And so the question becomes, what is best? How do I know what to decide? When you're young, they say that around the, by the time you're 18, you are, you are confronting or facing like the five great, greatest decisions of your life. Like, where am I going to live? Am I going to get married? Am I going to, you know, what am I going to do for a living? You know, there's these massive decisions that lie before you. How are you going to know what choices to make? Frankly, I'll give you a little insight. I might be focusing on young people, but when you get to the later stages of your life, you're actually facing a lot of these same questions over again. Not necessarily who am I going to marry and so forth and so on if you're already married, but, you know, big questions still like what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And so the Bible doesn't give us all of these things. The second reason why it's, 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 it's desperately needed is because we live in a day and age now where we have unprecedented access to information. Uh, there was a not that long ago a time when... Uh, I, even maybe literally, Carol and I came to visit Jacksonville, and we used this. Do any of you guys know what this is? This is called a map. You might have seen this on Dora. This is how Dora finds her way around. She uses the map. But there was a day and age where literally this is how we got around cities. New cities, if we went somewhere we didn't know where we were, we would, we would open this up and argue over this. <laughs> one would navigate while one drove, usually resulting in one pulling over to the side of the road and saying, let me hold that. And, and the other saying, maybe you should just ask for help. 
and the one driving saying, that's ridiculous. I would, don't need any help. I have a map. Or when camping and trying to find your way around camp, a map would help. Now, I can tell you going to a city like Jacksonville, less than 10 years, you know, if you, if you look back into, say, the late 90s when I needed this, 10 years later, this thing's irrelevant, right? Because now, not only do I have a GPS on my, in my car and on my phone, but, but I have, I, I can Google... Anything I want to know about Jacksonville, where do I get a freshly baked bagel with gluten-free cream cheese? I don't even know. Is that possible to have gluten-free cream cheese? I don't know. Uh, I Google that, and and it'll tell me instantly where all this is. And so I can figure things out instantaneously that I couldn't. I used to, I mean, I used to have a map. Now I have unprecedented access to information. But the reality is, is because I have so much more information, I need more discernment. I need more capacity to make good choices because even though I have more information, I also have false information. Not all of the news or all of the information that I get is true information or true. So I have to be able to discern what is real and what is good advice and what is bad advice, right? Are you with me? Well, the scriptures uh, tell us that, you know, we need to know truth from error in the world. And, they, and, and this passage in Proverbs speaks to this. this. This passage in Proverbs tells us, even though there's unprecedented access to information and countless voices, there's really only two voices that are calling out to you. And, 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 and Proverbs 9 lays them out. It says in the very beginning part of Proverbs 9, if you look at the verses 1 to 6, I'll read them up here because I have a different translation. just realized on my, my lectern. Uh, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts, and she has mixed her wine, and she has set her table. So verse 2 is just basically saying Proverbs has, has prepared a party, a meal. I mean, wisdom has prepared a meal. She's got her meal ready. And she sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. So what she's done is she's prepared a meal, this banquet, and she sent out messengers to go to the high place, the spot where she, can, she could be heard and seen the best, and to cry out to... The simple, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Let him come over here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight or knowledge or discernment. Okay? So imagine this, this high hill with a megaphone and voices that are crying out from there. There's a meal, there's a place prepared for you to come and to learn. You who are simple, come and learn what's right and live. Got it? Okay, now skip down, uh, down to verse uh, 13. There's another woman, and it says, the woman folly. Now, what's another word for folly? Yeah, that's what my grandmother used to, she just said, that's just foolishness. And folly is foolishness. Or I know that you're probably not allowed to use this word, but folly just means stupid. That's what it means. And, and it says, the woman folly is loud. 
and she's seductive, and she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house, and she takes a seat at the highest place of the town. So what is that like? Yeah, so she also sits at the high place, and she calls out to those who pass by who are going straight on their way, people who are actually going on the way they should be going, and she calls out to them, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Basically, she says, hey, if it's not yours, it's even better. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. If you can do something so nobody knows, keeping secrets from people, is, it makes you feel good. But he who does not know that the dead are there, that are guests are in the depths of Sheol. All right. So you can see that the, the writer of Proverbs is giving us a couple of different uh, voices. They're the two voices that we, we have to offer or that, or that cry out to us. Both of them crying out to us. And you'll notice if you, if you compare it, if you look at, on, I don't know if we can highlight these, but verse 4 and verse 16. In verse 4, it says, you know, the wisdom is crying out, let he, let he or they who are simple come. And verse 16 says, let they who are simple come. So who are these voices calling out to? So what is, who, who, who are, so calling out to simple people. So that means there's wisdom and there's folly crying out, but they're only calling out to simple people. And so that means that, guess who we are? We're the simple people. So we're the ones who are, so it's saying, look, all of us are just simple people. And there are two voices that are crying out to us. And if you compare what's being offered, this is the thing that gets me. If you just read this for what it is, there's a voice called wisdom that cries out and says, come to my meal. And if you come and you eat of it, there's life. And there's a voice called folly that cries out to simple people and says, leave your way that you're going and come and follow me and eat the meal I offer you. And it's death. One leads to life, one leads to death. So it's pretty important that we, that we have discernment, that we can discern these, between these two voices. Agreed? So um, I'll just give you a third reason. This is kind of bonus material uh, for why it's important in this day and age that we have discernment. And, it, and th- this is one maybe um, that you don't always think of, but to me, it's an imperative in the church that we live in today. A lot of the attacks, that, that, uh, the attack of, on wisdom that come uh, to the church actually come from inside the church. And Jesus warns that there are people in the church who would try to lead us astray. And he says, you know, you're going to have to have discernment to be able to understand, you know, how do, how do we separate the truth from fiction and right from wrong? And Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter in it, those who go through the gate into destruction, there are a lot of people who do that because the gate... The real way is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And then he says, beware of false prophets and teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, I don't know if you have that picture. If you do, you can throw it up there. That's it. No? No picture? All right. Brian, maybe. All right. So here's the challenge with wolves in sheep's clothing with false teachers. You don't always recognize them immediately, right? It, 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 fruit, even bad fruit takes time to grow. And so oftentimes false teachers, the, the, are, they look like nice people, look like sheep. Um, and this is something that 
happened often in, Je- in Jesus' ministry. You, you, can, you can see at the end of his ministry, there's a guy named Judas who betrays him. And when Jesus says, one of you betrayed me, they actually all had to think, you know, oh, man, was it I? You know, there, there, there was this. It, so my point is, if it happens in the life of Jesus inside of his camp, it's probably a, a serious thing that we need to consider as well. No one knew that Judas was going to be the one to betray him. It was only shown that Judas was a betrayer, that he was stealing, that when you get to the end of his life, you could see the fruit of it. So the point is, is there are false teachers and prophets among us, and people, one of the reasons it's so, such a problem is people want what false teachers offer. You know, Timothy, uh, or Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy, a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. He's basically saying that, there's, that people want to hear what they want to hear. They want to hear things that just tell them you're doing fine, just as you are. You know, it's, it's, it, you're great. And, and we'll reject truth as a result of it. But Peter, when he writes in 2 Peter, he says eventually those false teachers, those those, those people who aren't telling the truth will be revealed by, their, by the fruit of their lives. And so basically, to, to, make, to make a long story short, um, there are people who, who, who are inside of our churches who have no real connection to the Lord, but they have the appearance of having connection to the Lord. How do you, you know, well, before I even get into, oh, you have a picture up there? Here, this is, I, I like this picture. This shows a, this shows a picture of what a wolf, why it's hard to tell the, I just think that's a, that's a, I don't know, that's kind of a freaky picture, but it's a, it, it makes the point really well. That they, that they can be among us. Now, let me just say this. Incorrect teachers are not false teachers. Incorrect teachers are not false teachers. It's, it's entirely possible that we say things wrong. This happens all the time. If you're, if you're a preacher or a teacher and you do this, you might, you might not say something the right way. You might actually even have something wrong that needs to be fixed. You know, uh, I, I listened to somebody recently talking about um, a book that she'd written where she said that we, in our, something about our actions diminish the glory of God. And somebody who was a reviewer of her book, a friend of hers, said, I don't agree with that. I, think, I don't think we can diminish God's glory. I don't think we can do that. I don't think we can take away you know, from God. And she said, you know, I think my friend was right. She was, she was acknowledging that maybe I'd gotten something wrong. It didn't make her a false teacher. But I'll tell you, here's some quick signs of false teachers. This, this is not something you need to, I'm not going to, you know, preach through these points, but here's some quick signs. False teachers don't respond to correction. Hey, you know, I think maybe you're wrong there. No, I'm not. False teachers sit above the word of God rather than under the word of God. Um, the enemy, Satan himself does this. You know, I don't, I sit above the word of God. He tempts Jesus by sitting above the word of God. Uh, false teachers depart from historic Christianity. They'll, they'll say something like, you know, I know the Bible says this, but, and, and we can understand, that the beauty of it is, is that we are a historic church. We have a historic faith, and we can understand truth in new ways, but we're not looking for new truth. We're a historic church. And, um, and then finally, of course, like I said, our, you know, Lives of false teachers will show forth in, in false, uh, the fruit of false teaching. So there are choices we have to make every day. There are two voices crying out each day. There's tons of information, false teachers who are vying for your, for your time and your attention. So we need to know what is it. How do we, how do we discern what is right and wrong? 
Well, let me, t- let me say this first about that. Uh, God, just if you want to make big hairy notes, this is a good one to make. God is the source of discernment. Now, I know this sounds massively overly simplistic, but I'm going to correct something that we oftentimes believe in the church through this. God is the source of discernment. Okay, you ready? Here's what I'm going to correct. Old age is not the source of discernment. And, and this is something that we commonly believe. You know, age, age does not give us discernment. It can. It's an aspect of, sir, of discernment, but it doesn't always give us discernment. There are old people who've been walking with the Lord, walking around in, with no discernment. Just because somebody's known Jesus a long time doesn't mean they have discernment. For a Christian to be mature, she must also be discerning. You know, those who aren't discerning, but who have walked with Jesus for a very long time are either immature, they kind of got stalled somewhere, or backslidden, they kind of said, you know, I've I've fallen into some old ways, or they just have kind of, they're spiritually dead. And, And so... Just because somebody's older than you, I'm telling the same to you as young people in particular, just because somebody's older than you doesn't mean they're discerning. You could actually grow in discernment to a greater degree than somebody who's walked with the Lord for 30 years just by plowing into it. I'm going to tell you how. Okay? Are you older people offended? Like me? Good. So here's where it begins. Look at verse 10 in the middle of Proverbs 9. It tells us where, where this, this discernment comes from. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the beginning of wisdom. Now, uh, and it says that the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The knowledge, that word knowledge is the Hebrew word for discernment. Discernment of the Holy One is insight. And so when, I, when, when, when uh, Solomon in all likelihood uses this word fear, and this word fear is used throughout the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord. Um, it's not the same sort of fear. as It's not terror, and it's not fear of judgment. Although there is a sense in which we need to know that if our lives aren't rightly aligned under the Lord's, there's judgment. But it's not a fear of that that's being talked about here. What it's being talked about here is a respect that knows that God knows best as our creator. In other words, the creator knows best how I work best. He knows best because he made me, he formed me. Before I spoke a word, he was singing over me. You know, we just sang that. This means that he knows best how I work best. And the scriptures show me how I work best. And the proper fear of the Lord is to say, Lord, if you say there's a way for me to live my life, that's how I work best. So that's the first thing. This, we get it from the Lord. The second thing is, you don't get discernment by going on a treasure, a knowledge treasure hunt. You can't just say, I'm going to go learn everything I can learn and memorize all the stuff, and then I'll have discernment. Actually, Paul gets this in Philippians 1. He says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Paul is basically making the case that, 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 that discernment is born in relationship. That, you're, that you might know the Lord and your love may abound, and in the depths of this relationship, born in affection, you're going you're gonna to understand who he is more and more. I'll get at that in a bit. Third thing is, it's developable. This, this is a skill. Discernment is a skill that can be developed. It's a gift in some, I agree, but you can actually develop this gift. You can develop discernment. It's kind of, in a way, like learning to drive a car. Now, I think perhaps the most daunting experience of parenting a child is helping them to, to, to learn to drive a car. 
How many of you have yet to learn to drive? How many of you are driving already? Any of you gotten in a wreck yet? No? Well, here's what I, what you, you know, you, it used to be when I was a kid, you just took a little test. Now you have to do an online test at least, right? You do like four hours of online before you can even, but what you learn in an online class doesn't necessarily apply to respect or fear of the road, you know, proper, healthy fear of the road. You have to learn on the road where to be on the road. And in other words, you kind of have to hit some cars to learn how to drive. You kind of do. You kind of do. It doesn't always, it, you know, you don't just get in a car and you, and you go, wow, now I know how to drive a car. You have to grow in this. When I was about 12 years old, I was spending a summer with my grandfather and my grandmother, and my grandfather uh, was pulling a big trailer, and he said, I want you to get in the truck and pull the truck out when I tell you to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some stuff in place that, you know, to, to chalk the wheels so the trailer can't slide, and once it's good to go, I'm going to tell you, go, and you pull out. He said, I said, great. Now, here's the deal. I had no idea how to drive. But I was too embarrassed to admit to my grandfather I didn't know how to drive. So he said, when I tell you to put it in gear, put it in gear and go. So when he said go, I put it in R because I didn't know any better. I, I don't know. I guess I thought it meant race or something. So I put it in R. I just put it in gear and, hit, and it backed up into it and knocked it all off. It didn't knock it over or anything. It was fine. My grandfather said, you don't know how to drive, do you? And I said, no. And he taught me all summer how to drive. I drove sitting on pillows and, and, and so I could see out. And I drove through cornfields. And, I, and I, by the end of that summer, I could, I could back into a barn. But I hit a few things learning how. And I think one of the idols that we, we make is, is we think that we're supposed to have perfect discernment without developing it or perfect skills. This is something that has to be developed. We have to learn where to be on the road, how to, how to stay between the lines. And it's something we have to constantly practice to make better. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 5 says that there is a process that he, he's, he's expressing his dismay. He says we should be able to move on beyond elementary principles, but you're still drinking milk. You have to move on to meat. We, have, we should practice this to get better. Beginners need instructions. Like, I think of, I think of uh, me cooking. I don't cook very much. I can, I can. I can do a few things really well. But if you said to me, hey, can you cook a whole meal? I could do it. But guess what I would have to do? I would have to have an absolute recipe. And if you come over to my house and I'm going to cook a whole meal and there's recipes, you better stay out of my way. Because I'm going to follow that recipe absolutely to the, you know, every point. I, I, I am so connected to that recipe, it's not even funny. I'll slap you if you get in the way of the recipe. And I, I move from step to step to step. It has to be precise and exact. There's no, you know, and, and do you know why? It's because I don't know how to cook. I don't do it that much. But Carol, she's, she's, she does a lot of cooking and she... She, a lot of things that she cooks, she can do it without a recipe, and she can just kind of, she just knows, hey, this needs a little bit more oregano or a little bit more salt or a little less, she, you know, this, we need to add a little more flour. She just knows because she does it a lot more. Miss Trudy Ray is even really, she even has a name for this. I can't remember what it's called, but it's called, yeah, that's it, and, and you can actually cook by feel. I cannot do this, and people, have you ever been around people who seem to be able to do this spiritually? They seem to just know. They quickly know. They seem to have instantaneous situational wisdom. You're sitting there drinking coffee. You're like, man, I don't know what to do. And they say, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And you're like, that is the most wise thing I've ever heard. Have you ever been around somebody like that? 
Do you know why they have that? It's because they've spent massive amounts of time with the God of all wisdom. And they've come to know him through, through tons of time. And so, again, that definition of spiritual discernment is understanding and applying God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error and right from wrong. Truth from error, what we believe, right from wrong, how we live. Or knowing the right stuff to make the right choices. Discernment is wisdom making a choice. Well, how do you get it? You know, um, I, don't, I don't know this because I've never worked in this industry, but I've, I've heard from a number of people. Has anybody ever, here ever been a bank teller or worked in a bank? What I've heard is that one of the ways that bank tellers are trained, do, do you know there's real and counterfeit money? It's important to know the difference between real and counterfeit money. And, um, but I've heard that the way you're trained to tell counterfeit money from real money is this, that you are you are given massive amounts of detailed information about real money. You study it intensely. You don't study counterfeit money. You actually study the real money in deep, deep detail, learning all these parts about it. And then what I've heard is, is that um, I was reading something about this, that the particular bank that trains their tellers will, they'll show them all these deep, deep details about real money, and then eventually they'll slip in a little bit of counterfeit money. And the tellers can immediately tell it apart. Because they become so, so trained on, on seeing all these particular little signs that when something doesn't look right, they, 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 they can tell. They don't train them on counterfeit money. They train them on real money. Why? Well, there's all kinds of ways something can be counterfeit. But there's only one way it can be real or right. And so they actually train them to, to, to determine what's right. And then by knowing what's right, they can tell what's wrong. The, the, the takeaway is we have to immerse ourselves in what's right and what's true. And what's real. And so how do you get discernment first? We have to be people who are, oh, I feel like, a, I feel like just a, 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 a parent who's just, you know, we have to be people who are in the word of God. We have to move beyond chicken soup for the soul Christianity. If you want to know what's right from wrong and you're trying to read your, your little, you know, um, listen to your 30-second d- devotional while shaving and brushing your teeth and eating your cereal and making your way to, uh, to work, it's not going to work. You have to get into the Word of God. Do you know, I just read this statistic, only 11% of Christians ever read the whole Bible. Does that not hit your, is that surprising? Anybody? Reading the word, actually, you know, engaging the word of God is the way that we get into the real in order to understand the counterfeit. Do you know what it would take you to read the whole Bible in a year? 20 minutes a day what it takes 20 minutes a day to do that to read the whole bible in a word no i don't mean just read it you know just to say you can check it off the list brian i'm gonna i'm gonna tell on you one if it's okay there was a time in your life do you remember this brian when we were back in younger men's circle where brian came one day and he said man i just realized the fact that there's like a couple sections in the minor prophets i haven't read i don't think i've ever read them 
and it bothered him a lot. And so what he did is he got, we had this little office. It was like a cave. And he just got in his little office. He said, I'm not coming out until I've read all of this stuff. And so he sat in there and he read, I don't know how many books of the Bible it was, but he read these, these sections of the Bible he hadn't read. Now, I can assure you when Brian came out of that room, he could check off a box and say, I've now read it all, but he had very little understanding of what he'd read. You know? So, so getting into the Word doesn't mean we just read words. It means we actually get into it and, and, and delight in it. If you don't have 20 minutes a day, well, you have 20 minutes a day. How about I'll just say that? That's like one episode of whatever you're binge-watching right now. So get into it and delight in it. Second way is get in a small group and study. You know, the, the Colossians 3 says, teach one another the truth. And, and I've heard this said, and I, I don't know how, if, it's, it's, if it's scientifically true, but there's a social scientist that has become famous by saying you are the average of the five people you hang out with. The five people that you most congregate with, you become an average of those five people. And um, fellowship, the reason that we're so jealous for fellowship is that relationships, fellowship meaning relationships that are based in the lordship or the kingship of Jesus, if you get into a relationship with other people who love God and, and you begin to go deep in that place with other people, they will teach you the word and you will teach them the word by virtue of your fellowship in a way that will draw you into a deeper place. So one, you got to get into the word for yourself. 20 minutes a day or more. Two, get into a group of people who will study the word together. And three, ask the Lord to give you discernment. What's discernment? It's just wisdom making a choice. It's just having the information you need to make a good choice. And so you say, Lord, I need to get better at making good choices. So it's a really good idea to ask the Lord to give it to you. James says, if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without approach, and it will be given to him. And then the fourth thing you can do is seek wise counsel. Now, seeking wise counsel, um, this, this is, again, where it matters. It doesn't just mean go to somebody who's old. It means find somebody who, who, who you can tell by the, the, the fruit of their life and the way in which they uh, invest in the world around them and the way that they, they seem to have a qualitative you know, depth to their relationship with God. Uh, Proverbs 13 says, walk with wise and become wise, associate with fools and get in trouble. Who are you going to let really influence you? This is why I think it's a, it's a more imperative message for young people. The question becomes, who are you going to really let into your life? Who's going to become your inner circle? And who are you going to be influenced by and hang out with? And who are you going to seek advice from? And of course, the answer to that question is a massive determinant on the discernment or the qualitative uh, aspect of your life. All right. Basically wrapping up. Pretty much done. Just final thing. I've told you why you need it. I've told you... um, what it is, I told you how to get it, and I think just to kind of wrap it up, why we want it all. I was thinking about this. Um, I was actually mowing grass, you know, out here, and when you mow grass, it's kind of in a weird way as a pastor really rewarding because you can see that you've done something. It's, you know, it's very clearly cut grass and not cut grass. So it's really simple, but it, it bizarre way allows you to kind of think, 
more deeply. And I was mowing grass, and I was just thinking about some significant decision. I was thinking about myself, projecting back in my life at, at a very early age, you know, making, making some really substantial decisions, looking back on them, very substantial decisions. And at the time, they didn't seem like they were all that, that much. And I can remember... Um, I can remember one in particular uh, that had to do with where I was going to go to college. And without getting into all the details of it, the places that I was supposed to go, junior year going into my senior year, the stuff that was shaping up for me all kind of went away because of something that happened to me. And then what was left didn't seem like it was very clear anymore. Or it didn't seem like it wasn't very clear anymore. And I remember as a very young person really struggling with this. I remember having a lot of pressure on the outside. People, you know, parents and others saying, you know, you need to make a decision. What's going to happen? Where are you going? What's going on? And I remember feeling very hemmed in by all this. And and the reason it, it sticks out to me is because it's one of those early memories I have of actually crying out to God and saying, I need, I need help in that James way. But I had it all messed up. So I, what, I, what I wanted is I wanted discernment because I wanted an easy life. What I, what I reasoned in my mind was if I knew more and if God would make clear to me which direction to go, this way or that way, if he just would make it clear to me, then my life would have more security and I would, I would know the right answer. I wanted discernment because I wanted I wanted something easy and, and and why do we want to get discernment? The answer can't be because we want an easier life because discernment doesn't promise us ease. Discernment doesn't promise us success. That's that's what's called an idol. It doesn't promise us to be rich and famous. The goal of discernment comes from that passage I just I, I mentioned a bit ago out of out of Philippians one. Where Paul says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. You can know what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from God through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. We want discernment so we can approve what is excellent. Why does that matter? Because it brings glory to God. Well, why does that matter? Why does God need glory? Well, God doesn't need glory. We can't take away from it. But when we reflect glory on God to the world, people who don't know God will want to know him because of a look at this, look at this good God. Look at this amazing, glorious God. I want to know more. And it occurs to me that the days are probably coming more and more in our culture where making right choices might cost us instead of provide for us it might have been a day where making right choices meant you had an easier life but it occurs to me that in our culture we're probably we could be heading to a place where making right choices might actually cost us like jobs or friendships or things like this my dad was a was a firefighter and uh, I could remember him telling stories about when they I, I, like go into a house and um, you train a lot about how to know things and what how to fight certain fires. You use certain things for gas fire, wood fire, and this fire and that fire. And um, but he would say there were times where none of the kind of the typical training stuff was what mattered. What he had was he said that you could just smell it. 
You could smell something different. And he knew that because of that, there was something significant, like get everybody out of the house. This is about to blow or, or there was, you know, don't open that door or whatever it was. And I can remember him saying, you just smell it. You could just tell something wasn't right. And, and what I'm suggesting to you is, is the reason that we need discernment is we need to grow so close to the Lord that we can just tell when something's off. We have the capacity, a deeper capacity to be able to, to just be able to tell. And this is what you long for. This is what you've seen in people when they just have that, that bit of wisdom at the coffee shop. You're like, where did that come from? It's because they've cultivated such a deep relationship. They can just tell when something's off and have a word to offer to it. I had a roommate in college. And we lived together for four years. I didn't know him before I got to college. I just knew of him. He knew, we knew of each other because we both played, played baseball. But we didn't really know each other. And then when we got to college, I lived with him 24-7 for four years. And what, what happened is this, that over the course of that four years, people actually began to refer to us as one person. They would kind of use one name. Jeff and Dickie, Dickie and Jeff. And they would, and they would even confuse us. They didn't kind of know us as individuals. They knew us together. And so they might refer to me by his name or him by my name. We, we would kind of, we were, you know, we, we were on the same team. We, our schedules were almost exactly the same. We would kind of wear the same clothes. And even sometimes, you know, Hey, I need to borrow a shirt. We would dress alike and sound alike. We did all the same things. It came to the point where I knew what he liked I knew how he ate his food. I knew what he didn't like. I knew the music he listened to. I knew the way he slept and the way he woke up. I knew when he was angry. I knew all the stuff about him. And he knew all the stuff about me. And then we graduated and went our separate ways. It's 30 years later. I hardly ever see him now, but I could still finish his sentences. Why? Because we had cut such a deep place in relationship in each other's lives that there's still something deep there that holds us together and if we want to know what God likes we want discernment we want to know this way or that way we have to live with him day in and day out we have to walk with him by constantly engaging the word and in prayer we have to get with other people who, who love him and are trying to get after him in deeper ways. He's the source of our discernment and his word is the means by which we go deeper and his glory is the goal of it, not, not a good life. Just stand with me. If you can. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to kneel down at the altar and if you if you want to do the same you can if you want to <clears throat> worship the Lord where you are and bring your heart before him there that's fine but I'm going to pray this prayer uh, for us Father we we are we have so many things in our lives so many little decisions to make so many things that seem to be so simple but yet matter or inundated with with information 
so much more at our disposal. And Father, there's even people who, who, who are wolves dressed up in sheep's clothing. There's a, there's a way, Lord, if I just kind of lay that out there like that, that it almost produces fear in me. But yet I trust you. That I won't fear that which is outside of you. But I acknowledge you as my creator, as the one who desires that my life would work at its best. That I would choose the right way, not the wrong way. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us discernment, that our love may abound in you, that we might know you in a deeper and deeper ways, that we might press into your word, that we might not be part of the 11%, or that we might be part of the 11%, Lord that we would read your whole counsel, that we wouldn't just read words so we can check it off a list, but that we would go deep in your word, that we would find other people who care about this as well, that we would seek wise counsel, and we would pray. We would ask you to grant us the capacity to make right choices. Give us what we need, the insights, that we might choose right when you say right and left when you say left. Lord, we want to do this not so that we'll have easy lives, but that we might know the way and bring you glory. In Jesus' name.